Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes, and it's a great pleasure to be joined here today by Joe Garrity. Hello, Joe. Hi, Agnes. How are you? So nice to have you. Um, I've been chasing Joe on Twitter and by email for, for quite a while now. And, and the reason being that um, she and two other co-authors published a great book in December last year, um, called Building a Culture of Innovation, and that's what we will be speaking about. So before we get to our conversation, just a, a couple of words about Jo. She's formerly head of HR for Goldman Sachs France and Switzerland, and she has 16 years of experience working with change management across the globe. Jo specializes in working with CEOs and leadership teams uh, in global organizations operating in large and complex and regulated environments, and she's also the co-founder and director, co-director of Culture Consultancy and an executive coach and a master NLP practitioner. So there are quite a lot of things there we can we can talk about. So just to, to start off, Joe, would you mind uh, giving listeners a little bit of your background and your career and your passion and, and maybe just a bit of about the book? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, my, my background, as, as you said, from the from the bio, there's really sort of uh, 15, 16 years working for American investment banks, um, but in a variety of roles and, and around the globe. But really, the common theme was very much that I was always in a startup or a, or a turnaround situation. So it was a kind of starting up a new office or turning around an office that wasn't particularly successful and making it successful or working on big merger projects, that kind of thing. So I always had this element of of change in, you know, my whole sort of corporate uh, career, if you like. Um, and that's really, you know, and then I, I, I became self-employed uh, seven years ago and Derek and I set up Culture Consultancy And this is really kind of, you know, Derek's background is a little bit more. He was head of um, customer service for AXA. He has much more of a sort of logical process mind as well as leadership development. And Chris comes from a design background. So really kind of the design thinking. He set up a number of design agencies and he sold those um, a few years ago. So the book is really a culmination of the, the work that the three of us have been doing together for the last five or six years in helping organizations um, you know, understand their culture, be able to define their culture and be able to change it where, where necessary. Great. So um, 
the book has received uh, fantastic reviews, um, and, and I think it's 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 a great practical framework. It's a it's a six stage framework for building a culture of innovation. But uh, maybe before we go to that, so how important, how crucial is it in your experience, Joe, for companies today to have this kind of agile innovation mindset? Um, and embracing these opportunities maybe takes those risks. Yeah, I mean, to, it, today in today's workplace, it, it's it's essential. I mean, it is crucial for for survival. You see, every week now, businesses that fail because they're they're unable to uh, move with the times, fully understand their market. They haven't tapped into the insight and the intelligence that their own customers or clients could give them. Um, they don't collaborate well, so they're missing you know, opportunities and untapped talent, either within their organization or, or externally. Um, so, so really, it's, it's a, on some level, it's essential. Um, I'm not saying that they have to turn their business upside down and do what we call radical you know, innovation, um, but they, they have to be constantly finding ways to innovate. And, and what is the, in your experience, when does this tipping point come in a company's life when they proactively take the step to, to adopt such, an inno- such a culture of innovation or a culture of being more on social media or being more engaged with customers or insight? Um, th- th- where does this tipping point or this motivation come from? It's a funny one. Actually. It's, a good, it's a good question because I, I think it's... It's different for for all organizations. Um, I think for the majority, it really comes when when a huge issue arises. You know, so almost they leave it too late. Yeah. uh, Or, you know, almost too late um, and realize that actually there's a disruptive firm that's coming in and carving out pieces of their market that they've had for, you know, maybe 50 years and they thought it was safe. And all of a sudden they realize that a startup's come along and within you know, six to nine months, they've carved away part of their business. Um, but, you know, so it tends to be that those are the most common things where someone goes, oh, my goodness, we're losing clients, we're losing people, what can we do? Although that said, there are, are an increasing number now of organisations that are um, th- th- more enlightened, I would say, mm-hmm. who actually, you know, see the future, they see what's required, they know that if they're going to survive, they are going to have to do things differently. Um, they are going to have to break down those internal uh, silos, you know, especially in the larger corporates where everything is very segregated and they're, they're working in this very siloed linear fashion. It, you know, it, it can't continue in that way. So there's a lot of companies now are saying, OK, how can we bring about internal collaboration? How can we co-identify issues with our clients and, and, and resolve them together? I, I just thought it's so interesting. I mean, in your book is um, gives a great systemic approach, right? It, it's not a quick fix. I think no. If people <laughs> take the book and, and, and are really committed and really um, uh, have really decided that, okay, now it's time we change. It's not going to be an easy, you know, walk in the park kind of an you know, easy fix. Let's just organize a hackathon. I mean, you're really taking it seriously and said, okay, it seems to be that that's quite a big task that they have to take on right yes um it is although i mean you can always start you know you can start on a sort of smaller level if you like so 
you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, yesteryear people used to say, oh, it's all about continuous improvement. You know, innovation is just continuous improvement. We just tweak the edges a little bit of what we're doing and we make things a little bit better, you know, as time goes by. And then what happened was, you know, as, as innovation became this buzzword, the market became a lot tougher post the financial crisis, etc., People then just started to talk about, you know, radical innovation or disruptive innovation. You know, let's let's turn the whole world on its head and do something completely different. But the truth of the situation is that most organizations are not ready for that. And actually, mm. they they need to have their business as usual. They're, you know, they, they need to continue to earn money. They need to continue to do the things that they've always been doing at the same time. So we talk a lot about differentiated innovation. And this is more about you know, what's your, what's your, your organizations, what's your people's readiness? What's their appetite for innovation? We call it innovation maturity, but where are they currently? Are, are they ready for this? Because don't be thinking that you can, you know, suddenly overnight go for, for this disruptive approach. If as an organization, you're not ready for this. So you can start on a smaller scale. That's my point. You don't have to turn everything upside down. You can find certain pockets within the organization to innovate in, certain departments to start, certain projects, you know. But but yeah, you're right. The you know, this systematic approach and seeing it seeing this process through to the end is is key. That's when it gets serious, you know. That's that's your that's a, it it that's when it becomes um credible. And I'm and I'm also talking about you as the writers, you know, that that's really when it comes um, as a credible, viable um, option for companies to really, um, you know, get those numbers going again, get those sales up again, get the services that customer want, right? It's, it's yes. not an easy fix. Mm. No, and we saw an awful lot with the, you know, the, the financial, financial crisis came and everyone said, okay, we, we need a culture change. People didn't talk so much about innovation at the beginning, but we need a culture change. And what we saw with these programs that we were working on was it was really, um, you know, too short, too sharp and too shallow. So mm -hmm. everybody said, okay, quick, quick, let's, um, we need a new vision. We need some values. Let's stick them up on the lobby wall. Everybody can see them. And then, and then the whole thing disappeared. They said, oh, it's okay now we have a new culture because we have these values on the wall. So um, every, everything is okay. And nothing really changed, you know, so then even now, you know, several years later, we're revisiting these set and people saying, OK, well, what, what were we supposed to do as a follow on step? And you're like, well, actually, quite a lot more, <laughs> you know, there, were, there was a lot more that you needed to do to actually change behaviours, change mindset, uh, you know, change policies if you need to. So so now people are revisiting and saying, OK, you know, we need our people to innovate. What does that mean in, in, in tangible terms? What do we need them to do? Yeah, that's what we also always say, that policies need to iterate with behaviours, with um, the, the, the tools you put in place. And, and it's not just exactly, not just because we have a new value statement or a new one piece of paper memo that, that all of a sudden the culture is going to be different. And you speak quite a lot in the book. I was quite surprised. You speak quite a lot about the Generation Z. Yes. So the younger generation now that are entering the, the workforce. Um, and I think it's just, it's the whole concept of the digital natives, you know, the generation that have just grown up with the internet being there. You know, so if you, yeah. if you, were, you know, if you were born in the 90s and then, then the internet has been 
in your life since you were born. You know, even my four year old can pick up an, an iPad and use it better than I can, but um, <laughs> which is scary. Um, so, yeah, the, the way that they think, the way that they think about, you know, brands, the way they think about their work life, um, you know, that the you know, we've known for a long time that really the concept of a job for life is is, is long gone. Um, but they these you know, they care a lot about their life being holistic. They don't have such a divide between the workplace and their home life and their social life. You know, they they just have one presence. They don't really want to work the crazy hours that, you know, that my generation did. Um, so, it, you know, and these are the people that even though because they're not fully in the workplace and they're not, let's say, in a position um, of authority, I think they're still slightly disregarded or, mm-hmm. you know, not considered. Yeah. But, you know, organisations are going to find it very difficult to hire the talent from this generation if they don't change to accommodate them. Yeah, they, 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 they see work experience, work. they see work as not a place we go to, they see work as an experience and almost like a consumer experience. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So um, you, you work with many companies. Um, now, wh- what do you think are the biggest roadblocks? So where is the resistance where, where, where companies cannot just, you know, overcome and, and they're resisting this, um, taking the time and investment necessary for for making these changes. Um, I think I think there's a few things. So I think one, obviously, they have to have this realization that something needs to be done. So there's still quite a few, you know, senior leaders in organisations that are sitting there saying it's okay. We're we're doing, you know, we're doing well enough. We are still winning business. Um, it's fine. We don't need to change. So that, there's yeah. that whole piece about are they enlightened in the first place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, once they are, to to really, I mean, you know, I said earlier, you can drive the change. You know, you can you can drive innovation from a division, from in a particular area of a business. But in an ideal scenario, you would always have this strong leadership that is is going to drive innovation forward, and actually. You know, leading innovation requires requires slightly different skills from leadership. You know, broad brush leadership or leadership that we've seen in the past, because you you have to you know you have to devolve accountability further down the line. So you have to be happy with trying to break down the hierarchy in an organisation. You have to allow things to move quickly. So you know you can't have the silos. You can't have these stru- you know very rigid hierarchies in place. Um, you know, you need to foster the collaboration piece. So how do you really get people internally working together across departments? Um, that's quite tough. But yeah, and, and they need to, and failure needs to happen. You know, yeah. we've talked about this a lot. You need you need to allow failure to happen, and you need to be able to. I mean, not in terms of a free for all. Obviously, people can't just go off and do whatever they want. You have to set some boundaries, but. Um, you have to allow them to fail. It's almost like setting up a research and development department in in every company. Look, you know, here's R&D, go away, try some things, build some things, see what works. But if it doesn't work, that's fine. And we're still going to find a way as an organisation to reward you for trying something new, trying to find this opportunity, trying to make it work, rather than just looking at the things that are a a finished product, you know, and, and... you know, make money or are a success or whatever the the measurement criteria are, um, and that's quite tough. I think a, a lot of leaders really, really struggle with that. 
because they say, okay, well, good performance looks like this. It looks like increased sales. It looks like, um, you know, developing your people, client retention, whatever it is. But now we have to say, well, actually, it's it's okay to to keep trying and, you know, you know, and from time to time failing and not getting there. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what we also see that you have on the spectrum of companies. You have startups on the one hand that come up and are very agile and and embrace this kind of continuous pivoting and iteration. You have on the other side big established companies that are just almost falling off the cliff, and then they just shake themselves and do some radical changes. And then you have tons and tons of companies in the middle that, as you said, are chugging along just fine um, and, 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 and maybe have this great difficulty in creating almost like a lab or startup or entrepreneurship inside, right? Yeah. Is, so so how, how does that fit in? How, how this whole idea of entrepreneurialism in established companies, do, do you see that that's maybe something that's quite difficult to, to change um, nine to five workers, people who work in, you know, have been working as employees all their lives all of a sudden to become kind of entrepreneurial and, and, and you know, what is that? You know, I'm just brainstorming yeah. here, but, but you know, when, when you're an entrepreneur and as you have also started your company and, and so have we, there is a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uh, fear. There's, there's a lot of, um, you know, enthusiasm, some, something that feeds, you know, the fire in your belly. And I'm just thinking, how can you create that inside of a larger organization where people have been employed and, and there's HR and there's all these sets of, of rules of the game? I think where we see it really work is where they're given permission. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an element of a lot of people want to do this. They see this, you know, the um, the people who are the, you know, they're naturally like that. They're the change. They would be your change champions in a normal project. They're, um, they could, they're the people who can, you know, they're front facing with the client. So they can speak to the client. They see their issues. They bring that intelligence back in house. They say, what, what can we do about this? How do we make it work? But, what what happens is if you're if you're asking people to do this for you you need to give them you need to give them the permission to do it so you need to say this is actually part of your role you know please do this um you need to reward them for it you need to give them the space and time to do that because if you if people are completely maxed out with a with their process role or their yeah. their day-to-day -day job they're not going to find the time to do this with the, with the best will in the world so um you you know you need to you know, part of sort of creating the culture for it is about setting that framework, you know, making sure that that framework um, exists internally for your employees to to operate. Um, and, you know, without that, it, it just falls apart. You know, one of the things I think you said, I mentioned at the beginning about buying in innovation, you know, making it the the culture is, is about making it each and every employee's business to innovate you know it is part of their job to be to be that entrepreneur the danger is you know if you're just making it this uh sidearm task force you know innovation lab that's only accessed by the few it's fine you you may achieve a few quick wins you may get something from that but unless you have a kind of dual operating model where at the uh, simultaneously you're trying to embed this into the daily 
working into the daily operation of your business, then you know you're you're always you're always pushing water uphill. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a it's a you know it's a difficult thing to do. Whereas if you if you embed it and you make it everybody's role and you you know you teach them how you do the mindset shift, you do the behaviour shift, you show them why it's important. Um, and you you put the infrastructure in place, whether that is a lab that everyone can use, whether it's um, we've seen lots of different, you know, technologies that people have been using, good sort of uh, physical space, the way that they restructure their offices, you know, whatever that is that makes it possible. But alongside all those other HR things of actually this is your job, you know, you do need to do this and, and here's the time in the week to be able to. Um that's how you can really, you know, bring it to life. Fantastic. Really, really insightful. And maybe if you could uh, give uh, Joe listeners um, some examples that you have seen or that, you know, could um, illustrate so some of these points where you have seen uh, some fantastic or inspiring change uh, happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a few different types. Uh, you know, one... Um, large uh, manufacturing uh, company so i'll, I'll do a, different, a few different so a few different sectors but a very large manufacturing company um again they they've had their business for for 100 years they've they've pretty much owned the space that they were in um and they make kind of all they make all sorts of things they make small gadgets and they make huge machinery mm-hmm. and what was happening was that startups were coming in and saying okay well we're never going to make everything that you make because this is a huge array of things you need very large premises you need thousands of staff but we could make these little widgets and we could make them cheaper we can make them quicker we can make that we can offer you know much greater customer service and and the manufacturing firm really had this whole um you know piece of their business like carved carved away from them if you like mm-hmm. And they had to under, undertake that. That really was kind of radical innovation because what they could see was then they were going to be, start to lose other other products. You know, other other revenue streams were going to start to, to disappear. And so they had to undergo huge culture change in terms of okay, you know, we we can't operate this way anymore. Um, they also did their you know redid their vision, their their values. They put innovation at the center of of everything that they did they empowered their people um they chose the route of the half day per week to to innovate not everything has to be quite that structured i know that's the one that a lot of people talk about because it's quite tangible but you you can just build it into somebody's role mm-hmm. um they also said you know look um there was a, a bonus scheme for for different elements so for for try you know for trying and coming up with good ideas and the the effort piece mm-hmm. and then and then additional you know bonuses for actually seeing something through uh, to completion and so not only did they manage to save a lot of their existing revenue streams they actually came up with new ideas you know they almost had the startup mentality yeah. you know with, within this company that's 100 years old you know yeah. <laughs> um, and they had to they just they just saw the importance they they um, they also did a huge cost-saving initiative, but not not to lose people. So they were very determined. You know, they're very sort of um, employee-focused. So they were t- determined. So they said, "Okay, look, we don't want to lose our staff. We don't want to let you go. You all have to decide how we're going to save money and how we're going to earn more on the other side to to be able to keep us to keep us going in this way." And I think that was the fire in their belly. You know, people really felt, 
obviously on one level they wanted to keep their job but on the other level I think they respected their employer Mm -hmm. for saying okay this is not going to be a big redundancy exercise so some people chose to go part-time some people chose a sabbatical um you know people chose different shifts they they you know they made it work um and that was it was it was the driver and and through and you know they they're continuing to innovate this has just become their way of working and that was a huge shift it was a huge shift because they really you know on some level ran like some dickensian uh company from <laughs> from yeah. a very long time ago um yes and what you just explained almost seems counterintuitive to the old ways of working yes yeah and they really i mean that was it was that was really was a radical uh shift for them I think where, you know, where we've seen in financial services, we've seen, I think it's harder for the big financial services firms to do radical innovation. They're also regulated. Mm. Um, so that, that you know, it's an extra layer of complexity. So, um, but definitely the collaboration piece we've seen, you know, Chinese walls permitting, but um, where they've managed to say, you know, in, in olden times, they'd have said, okay, I'm going to design um, a new piece of technology for my division to do our processing for our financial services business and that whole collaboration piece now where they're actually going out across the silos across the divisions and saying look we want to build this who who else would benefit from it why don't we pool our resources and and design something together Mm. so there we've very much been running these sort of collaboration groups how do you network internally how do you pull people with the right skills to work on a particular project um and and that's that's very interesting and you know so it's a great way for other you know it serves lots of purposes you get to mentor other people you get mentored by different people in different divisions you get to understand how different parts of the business work it really you know it it's so good for everybody that it it becomes easier um to manage and sustain absolutely and you mentioned also uh, just before workspaces and and companies who really redesign their office space or their workspace, they see more of this serendipitous collision of someone yes. from HR with someone from sales and someone, and, and and that really creates much more ownership, much more engagement, and much more innovation. Absolutely. I mean, where we've worked with them, we've worked on a couple of law firm mergers, which have been very interesting and trying to pull together very different cultures. But that was a good example because one had one had a very open plan, you know, open office culture, you know, the very senior partners sat at their desk and the meeting rooms were just used for private meetings. Um, and they merged with a company where really everybody had an office. <laughs> yeah. And so and so nobody spoke to each other. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the legal sector is one that is going to have to innovate you know radically over, over the next couple of years yeah. it's a changing market and so they were able to say you know we, uh, there was a design agency go in and sort of strip out the whole thing to make it open plan um and they had to say look you know we've got this client we need to look at all the elements of their business and then as a law firm we need to say how can we help them with um you know their contracts how can we help them with employment law how can we help them with yeah, other things that are going on in that space, you know, um, IP or whatever else they need to deal with, rather than just sitting there being reactive to people phoning up saying, I've got this issue. Yeah. Um, and you'll only get that by people, you know, talking, discussing, working together, problem solving. Um, and again, the collaboration, you know, it's not just internal, that collaboration externally, you know, pulling your clients into the mix, co-identifying 
future issues you know what might come up what what do we see as potential issues how can we help you resolve this thing that hasn't even arisen yet that's uh that's where we need to get to. Maybe that's utopia. I'm not sure, but that's where that's where we need to get to. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll have a couple of years before we all sit around at home with uh, virtual reality headsets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, before we come to the last question, uh, would you like to uh, tell listeners where they can find you, reach you, where they can find the book? Yeah, definitely. Um, the easiest is just on on that on a culture consultancy website. So cultureconsultancy.com. Um, you can you can find the book on there. You can find more information about us. Um, culture consult at culture consult is Twitter, and at Joe Geraghty is my own Twitter account. Um, but yeah, any questions that anybody has or any feedback or you know be delighted or any observations that that people have, then you know I'm I'm always happy to discuss those um, if they'd like to contact me. Great, and and we'll put these uh, contact details into the into the show notes of of the of the podcast as well. So, if if they don't find you, they can go directly from there. So, uh, coming to the last question, Joe, um, which is always the same on on our podcast, if I could ask you uh, to give only one advice to a CEO um, to embark on an innovation and culture change process, or before they consider embarking what would that be oh that's a great question um i think it really would have to be to to be committed to the process so you know do do your homework figure out what your level your organization's level of innovation maturity is what level are your people what level of change are your people ready for um you know, design your program carefully, and then you have to be committed. If you're, if you are not committed as the CEO, you're not committed to lead um, this the change program that you want. You know, the chances of success are very slim. So, if you if you want to do this, you've got to be committed, and you've got to lead it from the top. So, a, a bit of a self introspection first. Yes. Commit or take on somebody else on board to do it for you. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the thing, also. But you, you have to make sure that you take on someone then that is committed, that is going to drive it forward, that understands what needs to be done. But what happens is people take it on as a kind of pet project, ah. and you know, or I mean, CEOs are busy. You know, they have lots of things to think about. But um, if you know, if there isn't one person or, or one at least one team, it's better if it's one person or but at least a small team of people. You know, really continuing to drive it you know it comes back to my piece that i said at the beginning about too short too sharp too shallow you know if you just do a big blast and go dinner we've done culture change you know nothing will change so you you need someone that's gonna that's gonna keep driving it that's gonna push it forward to to make it really to make it stick you know to embed yeah, it and penetrate, to penetrate really penetrate the exactly and, yeah excellent fantastic thank you so much joe i really no, thank enjoyed you. our conversation it was lovely to talk to you. Yeah, best wishes for everything. Thank you. <laughs>